turn our Bibles not to Luke chapter number 17. Luke chapter number 17. Man, isn't it good to be back in the house of the Lord? Lord's been good and faithful to me today. I trust that He has to you as well. Has He been faithful to you today? Got to come worship with my church family this morning. Man, that's a blessing. And enjoy the house of the Lord. And uh, went and got a little Mexican food. Amen. I hope I'm in the right place tonight. We got a little Mexican food. Got to round. No, I ain't talking about. I said Mexican food. Amen. No, I said food. Amen. And uh, enjoyed that, and enjoyed my family today. God's just been so good to me. Amen. He He deserves my praise. My praise isn't much, but He deserves it. He deserves a lot more than my praise. And we ought to praise Him. We ought to readily praise Him tonight. I'm so thankful to get to be here. Luke chapter number 17. Let's begin reading in verse number 12. Luke chapter 17, verse number 12. The Bible says, And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, He said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's stop and pray there. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the word of God, Lord. Thank you for being such a precious God. Uh, Lord, I, I, I just, I don't even have the words. I don't even know how to say how much you mean to me, how precious you are to me. And Lord, just how thankful I am for all that you've done in my life. But, Lord, I'll take these feeble words and I'll offer them up as the sacrifice of my lips tonight, giving praise unto you and thanking you for loving me. Lord, thanking you for saving me, thanking you for blessing me with this wonderful church family, with an amazing wife and children, Lord, with a wonderful home I was raised in. God, every single day uh, my life has been touched, uh, has been transformed by your blessings, your providence and your presence. Lord, I'm just so thankful tonight for all that you've done in my life. I pray that as we approach the Word of God, we'd have our hearts open to the truth of it. May it transform us, Lord. May this not simply be a moment of uh, introspection or of thought or of, of consideration, but may it be a transformative moment in our lives, Lord, as you call us to a deeper walk with thee. Father, we love you. We ask that you'd bless this meeting tonight, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I suppose this passage in Luke chapter 17 has always been one that has fascinated me. Uh, When I read through it, I see so much that reminds me of my own experience and what the Lord did for me when He saved me. But you know, though I was saved in a different place than you were in, and I probably prayed different words than you prayed, and undoubtedly there were different circumstances around uh, the moment that I was born again relative to the moment you were, we all have some things in common with these men and the miracle that God did in their life. 
You see, I think just as I can look closely and see my face in this leper's face, I can hear my voice in his voice, I bet if you were to look closely that you'd find out that God did no less of a miracle for you when He saved you than He did for these men. When I read about them, I'm just arrested by this miracle. I'm fascinated by this work of the power of God. When I read it, the first thing I think about is their condition. The Bible tells us in verse 12 that there met him ten men that were lepers. I've always been interested in the Bible. I, I don't know. It's, it's probably there are occasions. Certainly there were men that were not lepers that became lepers. And there's men like Naaman who were a leper and God cleansed him of it. But the vast majority of the time, God doesn't give us the name of lepers in the Bible. You say, preacher, why is that? Because at the end of the day, it didn't matter what their name was. They were a leper. And we don't know these men's names. But we know all that we need to know about them. The Bible tells us, number one, that they were diseased. They had this disease called leprosy, and it defined who that they were. These were dying men. These were men who had no hope of any sort of future. Uh, Theirs was a future that contained much pain, uh, much uh, solitude, much discouragement, depression. And all you needed to know about these men to know who and what they were was to know they were lepers. No doubt they did have names. No doubt they had preferences and and interests and hobbies and, and things that would have delighted them. But none of that really mattered. All that mattered was this disease that sucked up all the oxygen of their life and consumed who they were. You know, that's how it was when you were lost. You had certain things that interested you. You had a personality. You had an identity. But at the end of the day, it really didn't matter because uh, for those that die in their sins and die and go to hell, nobody's going to remember the name that they carried. Uh, Nobody's going to remember the accomplishments that they made. Uh, Nobody's going to care what their identity or care or what their personality or preferences were. All that matters is that they've died in their sins and that will forever define who that they are. And in the same way, this man, he was diseased. He was dying. He, He did not have time to wait And uh, thank God he didn't have to. Amen. They were diseased. And then notice they were distant. The Bible says this, which stood afar off. Now, that's not by accident. Lepers were not allowed to get close to anyone, both by social convention, but then even beyond that, by spiritual commandment. The Scriptures commanded them to stay away, lest their uncleanness spread to those that were clean. And, you know, that's the reality of how you and I were when we were lost. We were distant from God. We lacked the ability and we lacked the right to approach into His presence. You know, there's only ever been one that in and of Himself was spiritually clean. And uh, rather than approaching boldly unto Him in our own strength, in our own ability, all we could do is stand on the fringes and cry out when we saw His holiness, I am unclean, unclean, unclean. We could not approach unto Him. We couldn't get close to who He is and to what He is. And these men, they are ostracized. They are alienated. They have no way to approach unto to Jesus in and of their own strength. I see their condition, but I'm glad it didn't stay that way. I noticed their cry as well. The Bible says in verse 13, they couldn't get close to him. They weren't allowed to get close to him. But what could they do? Well, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master. Man, think about the name in this verse. Who were they crying to and why did they cry to him? They cried to him because he knew he was, they knew he was the only one could do anything about it. 
You say, preacher, why'd you cry unto him? Because I knew he was the only one who could do anything about it. By the way, this is not the first leper uh, that Jesus has healed. And I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'd probably struggle to give you a square footage or square mileage of the Holy Land, but it ain't all that big of a place. And I promise you that whenever word spread about a man that came to Jesus and had leprosy, and Lord, if thou canst, uh, then heal me, cleanse me. And uh, the Lord Jesus healed that man. Don't you know that must have spread like wildfire through the leper colony? I mean, human hand had no healing touch for the leper. There was nothing that mankind could do except just cordon him off, fence him off, push him out of society, and hope that he didn't drag everyone else down with him. But now, here is a man whose name speaks healing. Here is a man whose name speaks redemption. Here is a man whose name speaks hope. And when he cries the name of Jesus, he's not merely mentioning some run-of-the-mill name. He's mentioning the name that's above every name, the name under which a man alone can be born again. He's crying to a name that he's heard can heal, and he's asking him to do what no other man ever could. Man, think about the name here. He says, Jesus. He says, Master. Uh, the, I, I, I'll say this tonight. You say, Preacher, do you believe a man has to understand all that it means to get saved when they get saved? No. Because I didn't understand all that it meant to get saved when I got saved. I understood I was lost on my way to hell. I understood I couldn't save myself. I, I understood that I had to come to the Lord Jesus Christ because He had died on the cross in my place, in His righteousness, the righteous for the unrighteous, the clean for the unclean, uh, that He had paid my price and I asked Him to save me. And, and you know He did. Amen? And I didn't understand everything of what it would mean. And here's what I'm getting at. There's some that have this notion that if when you come and get born again, uh, if you don't sign up to unflinchingly, unfailingly follow every precept of the Word of God, then God won't save you. They call it lordship, salvation. And the idea that if you get backslid on God, it's really because you was never saved in the first place. I don't believe that. I've got too much Bible uh, to believe that. I've got too many examples of people that knew God that uh, walked away from the Lord at times in their life. And you say, well, preacher, but Demas. And I say, but Peter. You say, but Demas, I say, well, but but Peter. You, you, you say, but Alexander the coppersmith, I say, but Paul the apostle. We can do this all night, amen? I don't know how much an Alexander the coppersmith is worth, but a Paul the apostle trumps him, I know that. And uh, so I, I don't believe it means a man who's never saved because he backslides on God. It's possible to get so far away you forget you were washed from your old sin. Uh, but let me also say this, that when I came and got born again, I didn't enter into a cooperative partnership with the Lord Jesus. I came to him and I said, Master. You say, Preacher, why? what are you getting at? Well, I'm saying this. When I came to him, I knew I was a slave of sin. And I never really thought there would ever be a life where I wasn't a slave. I just wanted a better master. And he comes to him and he says, Jesus, Master. He doesn't say Jesus, equal. He doesn't say Jesus, partner. He doesn't say Jesus, buddy. He says, Jesus, Master. He's submitting himself unto him. And I, I would say this, that a man won't get born again if he comes to Jesus and asks him to be anything less than his Savior. And they come to him and say, Jesus, Master. But notice not only the name, notice the need here. What did he ask for? Jesus, Master, help me get my finances in order. Help me, Dave Ramsey. Jesus, Master, help my health problems. He had health problems now. 
I don't know what's wrong with you, and I sure enough can't figure out what's wrong with me, but at least we ain't lepers, amen? Kerry might be. He found a dead armadillo the other day. Them jokers carry leprosy. Isn't that crazy? They got them everywhere in Texas. I ain't worried about this immigration problem. They got leprosy down there, amen? That's going to settle that thing for us. And I, You know, but, but I, I, I mean, they had health problems. But they didn't, he didn't say, Jesus, heal me. What did he say? He said, have mercy on me. Mercy. Mercy implies a few things. One, it, it applies a wronged party. If you need mercy, you're asking mercy of one whom you have wronged. You don't need mercy from somebody that you ain't done nothing to. When you ask for mercy, you're recognizing the intrinsic authority and ability and power of that person. You don't have to ask mercy. I ain't never looked down at an ant and asked for mercy. I've never even really wondered what he thought about me. But he says, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Why? He recognizes Jesus. And I can't explain, I can't identify everything that he must have understood about who the Lord was. But evidently he felt like Jesus was an aggrieved, wronged party who had the power and authority over them. And evidently he felt as though he was a representative of the God of glory and felt as though he and he alone had both the right and the prerogative to extend mercy to them. Man, when I got saved, I was in the same shape. One thing I did know is I did know I had wronged God. I probably couldn't quantify everything of what that meant. But I understood that it was Him with whom I had to do. And that He is the one that I had wronged. And that He and He alone had the power and the prerogative to forgive me of my sins. Man, I love this. I I see their condition. They were diseased. They were distant. I see their cry, the name of that cry, and the need of that cry. And I tell you, every single person that's never been born again, their greatest need is mercy. Uh, far above harmony in their family, far above financial well-being, far above soundness of health and soundness of mind. What they need more than anything is the mercy of God. They get that, and everything else will in due course be dealt with. But they need mercy. And then I see their cleansing. Verse 13 fascinates me. For 14, it says this, when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. This is an interesting verse to me. I've often, when I've read this, wondered, why did he tell them, go show yourselves unto the priests? And if I'm being honest, there's probably some dispensational things going on here. We might say a word about it a little bit later. But I've got a real simple practical reason. He was giving them a word of faith. You say, what do you mean, preacher? He was giving them something to put their faith in. A way to respond to Him. He said, go show the priests. And now they had a choice to make. They would either turn around and go about their business and all of this Jesus Master have mercy on His stuff would have been nonsense that they didn't really mean in the first place. Or they would listen to and heed His Word and they would now respond in faith and go in obedience and do that which He had commanded them to do. Sometimes I think we sadly, woefully disassociate the notion of obedience and of the gospel. I want you to hear clearly what I'm about to say. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Not of works. Not of works, lest any man 
should boast. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And it's by grace and not by works that we are saved. But sometimes when we think of the word obedience, we associate it only and singly with the notion of labor and work and service. But you know, there are two ways in which you can express obedience. Sometimes I'll look at my kids, I'll say, go do this, go get that, go uh, help me in this way. And that is an active form of obedience that they express. They're going to carry out a work on my behalf. But then there's times that there's what we maybe could call passive obedience. You say, preacher, what's that like? Quit that. That's what that's like. I mean, y'all hear that growing up? Quit that. Quit that. It's amazing how much time you spend as a parent saying the word no. I guess in the first 20 years of my life, I maybe said no a hundred times. And I have broken that record on this very God-given day alone as a parent. No, no, sit down. No, why would you do that? No. (laughs) In other words, sometimes... Sometimes obedience is go and do. Sometimes obedience is cease and desist. Here's what Paul said about when he got born again. He said to Agrippa, whereupon, O king, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. You know, a lot of people are going to die in their sins because they won't obey the call of the gospel. You say, preacher, that's keeping his commandments. He said, this is my commandment that you believe on him whom sent me. That we put our faith in Jesus Christ and upon the Lord. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this tonight, that when we got saved, that was an act of obedience to God. We were saved not of the will of men, nor the will of the flesh, but by the will of God. We obeyed the will of God. We were obedient in receiving the gospel and believing unto faith. And we were born again. And so what was he doing when he said, go show yourselves unto the priest? He was giving them in this moment, in this dispensation, in this in this time, a, a word of faith upon which they could respond. He was saying, here's how you can exercise the faith that you're claiming in me, is you can follow this commandment. I see there was a word of faith, but then I see there was a work to follow. The Bible says this, and it came to pass that as they went... They were cleansed. Not when they got there, gave the... But no, God responded to their obedience of faith. God responded to them placing their faith in Christ. And immediately the miracle was wrought in them. What a beautiful picture this is of what happened when you and I got born again. I've heard people say this, and I think there's probably some truth to this. They'll talk about when they got saved, and they'll say, you know, I God's dealing so heavy with my heart, and I got up out of the pew and stepped out in the center aisle, and I went down, and they'll say, I prayed, but I don't really remember all the words that I prayed. And, and you know, somebody took a Bible and showed me verses, and though I know verses that give me a foundation for my salvation, I don't really remember the exact verses they showed me. But it's funny how people remember that moment of surrender. Whenever their will was broken. I've often heard people say, you know, I don't know, it don't matter, but I might get to heaven and find out that I was saved the moment I stepped out and surrendered my heart to the Lord. You say, preacher, what about you? I wasn't in a church and I didn't walk down an aisle. I was alone in a bedroom and called upon the Lord to save me. But I would simply say this in our life. God doesn't put us on a layaway plan. God does not do the first phase of saving, but we're waiting for phase two to uh, pin, you know, permits pending. And phase three, we're waiting on the funding to come in. 
when He saves us, He saves us completely, immediately and eternally. He doesn't just give us part, He gives us all. And the moment these men responded in faith, God healed them. God cleansed them. Man, I'm so thankful that the moment I believed on Him, He saved me. I guess I'm just saying I love this story. I love everything about it. I love what Jesus does for these lepers because it reminds me of, of, of what Jesus did for me when He saved me. But then I also love what the Samaritan leper does for Jesus. Because really the emphasis of this passage is twofold. The first few verses deal with what He did for them. And then the last few verses really deal with how this one man responded and what he did for the Lord Jesus. I I love it. I love everything about it. I love what Jesus does. I love what the leper does. But if I'm being honest, I'll tell you what I love the most. I love where this leper, when all the smoke cleared, when everything was said and done, I love where he was found. Notice with me verse number 15. The Bible says this, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I want to preach to you for just about three and a half minutes tonight. You don't believe that. I want to preach to you on this thought, at his feet, giving him thanks. Say, preacher, where's the best place to be in these last days? Best place to be is to be at his feet, giving him thanks. Say, preacher, I'm going through some good times in my life. God's blessing. I, things are going well at work and, and God's providing for me. And, and, you know, the, the, the new house, the new baby, the new job, the new car, the new whatever it might be. And God's just doing amazing things in my life. Preacher, what should I do? Where should I be? You should be at his feet, giving him thanks. Preacher, I'm going through dark times. Man, I'm talking about deep valleys. Things I never thought were going to happen. Things I never imagined would take place. And I'm, I'm struggling with things I never thought I'd struggle with. I'm, I'm questioning things I thought I would never question. I'm experiencing things that no man and no woman should have to go through. Preacher, where do I go? What should I do? Where should I be? You should be at his feet, giving him thanks. That's where Job was. When his life is nothing but ashes blowing in the wind around him, he fell down on his face and he worshipped the Lord. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You say, preacher, I'm just kind of going through a dry spell. I mean, things ain't bad. I'm not going through hard times, but I don't know. My Bible reading's been a little stale. My prayer life has been really a drudgery. I've really had to work at it. And You know, I love church and all, but it just don't seem like I'm getting out of it, what I used to. And preacher, what can I do about that? Where should I be? You should be at His feet, giving Him thanks. See, here's the reality. All of us, because of what He's done in our life, there's a place at His feet that we should be. This is... Uh, where Mary found peace in the Lord and found that greater thing 
that Jesus spoke of. This is where countless folks found the healing and the wholeness that they desired. This and this place alone is where men's hearts were transformed, where literally heaven and earth were grabbed and slammed one into another. And this, even at His feet, giving Him thanks, puts us at the foot of the cross. When we read this passage, I want you to notice three things tonight, and I'll be done. The first I've already mentioned, three things that I just I love about this passage. Notice, number one, I love where he was found, verse number 15. And notice with me first the boldness of his words. Here's why I love it. Because God had done this amazing work in this man's life. And I don't know about you, I try to to live the scenes of Scripture in, in, in my mind. I don't... You know, and I'm sure I get lots of things wrong sometimes, but God will straighten that out when I get to heaven. But I, I like to just live the scenes of Scripture in my mind. And I can literally see this man. He's wrapped in his leper's garb. He's gnarled and he's decayed. He's decrepit. No doubt he probably had trouble moving. And uh, he's a man who, because of the insecurity and the beatdownness of this disease, that probably shied away from any human contact, was probably a timid individual. And as he walks down the road, thinking about what this man Jesus has commanded him, thinking about what this man has done for others, he looks down and all of a sudden, that hand that was once pockmarked, that hand that was once rotting, is clean and smooth like a baby's skin. He probably reached up and felt different appendages that had uh, been removed through that disease's onward march. And there it is again. It's been restored and it's back whole. And he begins to think about this. And all he knows to do is just to stop and begin to shout the glories of God. I love it, man. You see, he said, preach all that silly. We're, we're too dignified for that. Well, go ahead and be dignified about it and miss your blessing. But if you had done in your life what this man had done, you wouldn't be timid about your testimony. Man, he just, he just starts to shout. And you can say, I'm misreading that. You can say, I'm misapplying that. You can say the way we shout ain't the way they shouted. But I promise you this, whatever this looked like, it doesn't look like quiet, dignified, reserved worship. It looked like getting tore up from the floor up. This man, I mean, he just, he don't know what to do. (laughs) I don't even know what he said. It just says, with a loud voice, he glorified God. See, here's the truth. How dare we, how dare we be quiet this Thanksgiving season? For we've had no less of a miracle done for us than this man had done for him. I see the boldness of his words, but then I see the boldness of his worship. Verse 16, the Bible says this, He fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. It's interesting to think about this scene. I wonder to myself, did the man ever ask himself whether that was appropriate? Did the man ever ask himself, how Jesus would respond to that. I would venture this statement, and you can tell me I'm wrong. I've been wrong about lots of things. Amen. I thought we was going to win yesterday. I've been wrong about lots of things. But I venture to guess that this man was probably just so overcome from joy and astonishment that this response in our text is merely an instinctive, a visceral response 
in which he probably didn't question much of anything. He probably just immediately fell at the man's feet because it was an instinctive. And I'm cautious in using that word. I'm not suggesting it was energized or motivated by the flesh because I promise you the flesh ain't never going to want to worship him. But it was prompted spontaneously by the work of grace that God had done in his life. And we don't really find him weighing things and assessing things almost as though it's the most natural thing in the world. He just comes. I, I, you might think different. I think of him like, I, like he's just sliding into home plate and falls at Jesus' feet and begins to render unto him all the worship and praise that he humanly possibly can. He knows that his life is transformed because of the power of this man. And he does not meter and measure the amount of praise that he's giving to him. He does not ask whether it's dignified. He does not ask whether it's appropriate. He does not care what others may think about it. Because the truth of the matter is, he was a dead man walk. Now he's a delivered man worshiping. So he just falls at his feet and begins to praise him. And I would say this, that very often in our life, the, the timidness in worship, is due to the fact that we've allowed the flesh to get a vote in how we worship God. I just Let me just say, why should your flesh get a say in how we worship God? What, what about worshiping God does the flesh understand? It don't deserve no vote in worshiping God. It ain't got no part in worshiping God. And so why? Hey, listen, Paul said this to the church at Corinth. He said, if we be sober, it is for your sakes. If we be beside ourselves, it is unto God. He's talking about worship. And he said this, if we tone it down, it's just because it makes you nervous. It don't make God nervous. Now, I would say this, worship ought to be biblical. And there's a great many things that exist in the world that simply have no root in biblical uh, truth. There's no precedent. There's no foundation in Scripture. But certainly expressive praise unto God, boldness in worshiping Him, boldness in testifying of Him and in praising Him has clear scriptural precedent. And a man that's been delivered as deeply as this man has, nobody had to teach him. He just did what felt natural to a redeemed heart. He fell at his feet and began to worship. Man, I love it. I love where he was found. But not only that, I love how he was found. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, I don't just love that he's at the feet of Jesus, but I love that the Bible tells me he's there and he's giving him thanks. Why? You say, preacher, why is that interesting to you? Well, number one, because of the rarity of giving thanks. Verse 17, Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Now, let's follow this, all right? This is going to be, this is going to be tough in, 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 the, in the day of, of mathematically disabled people that we live in today, this might be tough, all right? We're going to do a counting exercise. We're going to do it like they do it in some of them counties, amen, when they're counting votes. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do a counting exercise, all right? We're going to say this. There's ten lepers. How many of those ten were cleansed? So how many of them should have been there? All ten. The thing that's baffling to me is not why this man is found at his feet. The thing that's baffling to me is why the other men are not. It's interesting. I told you a moment ago, I think there's some dispensational things going on here. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, there's some pictures of some some, some things that God's been doing through the ages. And uh, this man is the only one of them that's a Samaritan. 
And you think about these men while they cried unto the Lord. They were lepers. They needed to be healed. They were unclean according to the law. This man, being a Samaritan, likely had no regard for the law. Jesus says, go show the priest. These men start to go show the priest only to realize that they've already been healed. The other nine men say, well, we have responsibility and duty first and foremost to the priesthood. So they continue on there. This man had no qualms about the priesthood. So he goes back to the high priest and he worships him. And it tells me this, that how often do we lose sight of what he's done for us before we've even given him the first word of praise about what he's done? For as Scripture suggests to us, these men never came back and thanked him. Because, you know, here's the reality. Often if you don't thank him in that moment, you never will. Maybe you're more spiritual than me. You might have a whole big long laundry list of praises. You're just working your way through. But me personally, if I don't praise him then and there, I will rarely go back to praise him. And because of this, because of the short attention span of the human heart, because of of the distractions of this world, because the self-absorption of our age, we just rarely thank him for what he's done in our life. I, I, I love Wall Ridge. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. They came to me and said, Preacher, we're, you know, believe it might be the will of God to join. And, and so we were talking about some things. And Wall Ridge is a special place. It, it ain't the only place, you understand. It ain't everybody's cup of tea. I, the, the, some folks say, well, it ain't for me. And, and I ain't surprised because I'm not sure they're for me. Amen. I mean, that's okay, right? There ain't nothing wrong with that. You ain't going to get fined by the IRS for, for, for not attending here. There might come a day you're fined by them for attending here. But so far, you know, that, that's all right. But I told them, I said, I, I know that. I, I know it's not the only place, and I know it's not for everybody, but it sure is a special place. It is. You say, preacher, why do you think that? Because you, because of what? No, because people tell me that all the time. I don't know if you know this, but I've only been a member of two churches in my life. The church I grew up in and this church. This is not an anecdotal observation on my part. This is the eyewitness testimony of other people that come to me all the time and say, Preacher, they're just what's here ain't everywhere. And I hear all the time about how God is doing a special work here. And if he is, and I believe he is, I praise his name for, for doing so. And sometimes when you go to church in a place like this, you'll think that it's normal to praise God. And it ain't. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, go to some of them other places and do what you do here. And watch the security team escort you out the back door. Sometimes people bring little ones, little kids in. And it ain't the little kids' fault they ain't never been in real church. And they'll sit in church and people start worshiping the Lord and it scares the kids. Then they'll take them and set them in front of some godless pagan movie or TV show that scares me. Say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this is a special place. It's a precious place. 
But the reason it is, is because of the willingness of the people to give and render praise to God. Because the truth of the matter is, in this world, it's rare that men lift His name. It's rare that men praise Him. And even amongst the redeemed, there's a reason God had to say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Because if He didn't tell them to, they very likely never would have. And in your life and my life, it is often the case that we are rare in the things we offer. You say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. I thank him for things occasionally. Problem is, he don't just bless you occasionally. He blesses you constantly. And so that praise should be a constant thing. I see the rarity of giving thanks, and then I see the reality of giving thanks. Verse 18, there are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. You know what I love about it? There's two things here that's interesting to me. Notice how Jesus described this man's giving of thanks. He said it's giving glory to God. We use that terminology a lot, don't we? Well, want to give God the glory. Well, want to, want to glorify God in everything that we do. But I wonder sometimes if we understand just how potent a thing it is to glorify God. I think if we understood how meaningful it is to glorify Him, it would probably cause us to be less willing to embarrass Him. Glory, dignity, virtue, honor being heaped upon Him is actually the preeminent priority of God in this universe. The book of Ephesians says this, uh, that the reason God created us is that we might be found under the praise of His glory. The reason that we exist is not to taste all of the sweet things of life. It's not to reach our great apex of potential. It's not even to be found to be of the greatest service to the Lord. We exist for a singular reason. We are created beings made in the image of God whose existence is for the purpose that we might render unto Him glory. That men might look at our life and be impressed with God by it. And this man, when he goes back, and he thanks and gives gratitude unto God, he's really fulfilling the grandest purpose of a human being's existence. In your life and in my life, I fear that often this chief calling goes unmet and goes neglected. We'll do a lot of things for God. That's good. I'm for that. I'm not against that. We'll go to church, and I, I think that's good. I'm for that. I'm here tonight. Amen. That's what other people say to me, right? Well, I'm here, preacher, you know. Well, I'm here tonight, church, amen. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know how to take that. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, Fred. I praise the Lord for it. But I wonder if in our life, if we are rendering unto God the glory that is due unto Him. I wonder if men look at our life and are impressed at God over it. See, here's the truth. If we don't talk much about what God does, how will men know of it? Preacher, the heavens declare His handiwork. I'm aware of that. Preacher, the invisible things of God are seen by the things which are created so that they're without excuse concerning His majesty and God. I know that. I also know that in spite of all of the ways that God has written His signature on His creation, mankind has developed a blind spot to it due to their own self-will and self-interest. So much so that when the light of the world came into the world, men knew Him not. 
They love darkness rather than light. He came not just to somebody. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. So what then is the function and purpose of your life and mine? It is to with our words and our works and our witness render unto God that which the world will not willingly give Him. And that is the praise that is due to His name. I love where He was found. He was found at the feet of Jesus. I love how He was found. He was found giving thanks unto God. And that's a rare thing. And that's a precious thing. But I also love not just where He was found and how He was found, but I love what He found. Look with me at verse 19. Jesus says to him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. This is an amazing verse. There are a couple things that I think this man found when he came back and gave gratitude unto the Lord. I would say, number one, he found the deeper meaning. Now, I told you a little earlier in the passage, there's probably some dispensational things going on in here, and I don't have really hard opinions about what the Lord's trying to say through this narrative and through this story. Uh, but there's some things that just sort of send off bells in my mind. It's interesting to me that presumably the other men were Jews, and this man was a Samaritan, meaning that he was regarded either as a Gentile or really lesser than a Gentile. That's interesting to me. It's interesting to me that the Lord commands these men to go and show themselves unto the priests. And it's interesting to me that this man, who is, if not a Gentile, lower than a Gentile, is the only one of them that comes back and gives thanks to God. But you know what also is interesting to me? He doesn't say after this man returns, now go and show the priest. He says, arise. Go thy way. So that tells me this. These first men went, were healed of their physical leprosy, then went and approached and offered gifts according to Moses and presented themselves unto the priest and and submitted themselves under the rigor of Judaistic worship and lived then the rest of their days, cleansed physically of that disease, but in no wise changed spiritually. But this man, because he comes back to the high priest, he is not only cleansed, he is converted, and he is liberated and freed from the rigors of the law. And he is not told to go back and to serve Moses, but he's told, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. In many ways, I think you probably have a picture of Israel's response to the Messiah. And then the early New Testament church's response to the Messiah. In other words, the fact that Israel, in seeking to have only the temporal externalities of their life healed, missed the purpose of the Messiah in coming to Israel. Because remember, thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. That's what the angel Gabriel said. His people from their sins. What he wanted to do for Israel was more than just throw off the yoke of Roman bondage. He wanted to lead them into a kingdom of everlasting righteousness. But because all they could see was the temporal implications, and because he was unwilling in that immediate moment to fulfill those for them, rather beckoning them to a relationship of faith, they rejected him and nailed him to a cross. And yet we find that the early New Testament church, which, by the way, was a half-breed church. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, it was Jew and Gentile. Much like this Samaritan man 
was Jew and Gentile, was cleansed by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because then their fidelity, loyalty, and allegiance was not to Moses, but was to a greater high priest, the great high priest and apostle of our profession, Jesus Christ, they went on and found a deeper relationship with God. You may have your own thoughts and opinions about that, and that's fine. They're probably worth about the same as mine on the exchange rate. That's all right. But there's probably some things going on here reflective of that. But to me, here's what I want you to understand. There was a deeper meaning in what God sought to do in this man's life, and it was not fulfilled until the work of gratitude was brought to fruition. Let me say it this way, and then I'm going to read a passage and I'll be done. He found the deeper meaning, but then notice he found the greater miracle. He says, thy faith hath made thee whole. If we think that all that gratitude is about is merely verbalizing the thankfulness we feel in our heart, we've missed all that God's doing through the ministry of thanksgiving. Listen to how Paul describes the work that God was doing at the church at Corinth. He's talking about how they, in their liberality, not liberalness, somebody say amen to that. I remember years ago, I was called on to pray in the church I grew up in. I started praying, and I, God had really been getting hold of my heart. And I, and I didn't just pray, man, son. I prayed somewhere in the middle of it. I said, God, give us the spirit of liberalness. <laughs> but there is a spirit of liberality at this church in their, in their giving. And so they've been giving. And letting the Lord use them through their giving. And Paul says in verse number 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. In other words, he's saying God's been blessing you with that money, so he can use you to bless the lives of others. He says, As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He says that they would abound in every good work, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. In other words, he's saying, as you obey the Lord and God uses you to bless the lives of others, that produces in us thanksgiving To God, we are then grateful to God for the way that he's using you. And he says in verse 12, for the administration of this service, not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. By the way, you'll hear preachers preach on this this Christmas, might even hear me talk about it and reference it. But in the context, he says this, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. But what's Paul getting at? He's saying this. There's an amazing circle that begins to form where you're obedient to God. And through that obedience to God, it blesses the lives of others. They then give thanks unto God as a result of that. Men then observe that witness and testimony are convinced of the faithfulness of God and respond to that by obeying God in matters in their life. 
When they do that, that blesses the lives of others, which therein give thanksgiving to God, whereupon others witness what they're doing. And it creates this beautiful cycle of glorifying God in the life of believers. See, here's what I'm getting at. You say, preacher, I guess I ought to thank him. He's been good to me. Well, yeah. Let me say this. You ought to thank him because you'll miss out if you don't. You'll miss out on how God wants to grow you. You'll miss out on how God wants to use you. And yes, you'll miss out on how God wants to bless you. I think sometimes we think of of God as though he's some vain Hollywood actress, vapid and needing our approval and affirmation. But I got news for you. God ain't waiting on your opinion to find out whether he's God. He knows that he's worthy of praise. But he desires and demands and commands that you praise him, not just because he's worthy, but because you are needful of praising Him. I'll tell you this. This leper, he got more out of praising God than his companions did. And he got more out of praising God than even the Savior did. He, because of his gratitude, benefited most of all. And in that, he found the deeper meaning of what God was doing in his life. This wasn't just to cleanse his skin. It was to cleanse his soul. This this wasn't just to get rid of his disease. It was to deal with his depravity. And that he in this didn't just get a new bill of health. He got a new Lord of life and a new Savior. And he, he, he learned the deeper meaning. And he received the greater miracle because of his gratitude. He didn't just get that. Le- you know, funny thing about it, every one of these fellows physically still died one day. But this man is eternally living forever. Because he rendered praise unto God. I just, I love it, man. And here's where I want to be found this Thanksgiving season. And not just this Thanksgiving season, this Labor Day season, this Memorial Day season, this Fourth of July season, this every waking moment of my life season. I want to be found at his feet, giving him thanks for what he did. It ain't just proper. It's beneficial in your life. So I hope that as you go into this next week, You'll go into it not just begrudgingly rendering to God the debt that you owe Him through His faithfulness, but rather with enthusiasm and excitement and passion, seeking to, through your praise of God, see the greater works that God seeks to do in the lives of others and in your own life. We don't just thank Him because He deserves it. We thank thank Him because He works through it. And he deals in us by it. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to the, uh, to the, well, maybe they need to come to the altar. Amen. I guess we'll let him go to the piano first. I want to give you an opportunity to meet God in the altar. God spoke to your heart about something. Won't you come find a place down here? Boy, we all, I want to be found at his feet, giving him thanks. That's where I belong. It's where you belong tonight. You belong at his feet, giving him thanks. Won't you take that place tonight at his feet? And why don't you, with a heart of gratitude, bless his name, praise his faithfulness, give him glory for his goodness, and begin to see the work that God desires to do in and through you through that as you submit unto him. Lord, we love you. Bless this invitation. We ask it in Christ's name.